Good morning. Good to see you. Uh, so we're in our last week of our finding rest or finding rhythms of rest in in our lives, and, and it comes at a pretty pretty interesting time, right? Thursday starts the crazy season for many of us. That's when you know parties begin. We and then you have family in town, and now the rush of the holidays comes in. So uh, this is. This, this one will be very practical. What are some ways and things that we can look at rest and be able to find it without getting overly stressed? Because this is what happens to me. I'll give you a story of my week. Uh, on Monday, I, we were, I was at the event at Green Lake with our, our guest speaker, and, and they had a, a thing of coffee there, and it was cold, and it said decaf, and I believed it. I drank it. I drank it twice. I got a refill. It said decaf. I, you know, hey... Let's just have it. So I drank it, and, I, and uh, I had a refill, and then I almost went back for a third. It was warm. I was cold. Uh, they put me outside greeting people, which is, I get it. You don't want me around, fine. But I was outdoors, so I wanted something warm to hold on, but it wasn't decaf. And so I get home that night, and I'm ready to go to bed. It's been a long day, and I, I'm sitting there, and then we, we, go, we go to bed, and I'm laying in bed. And I'm still laying in bed, and Carrie's asleep, the boys are asleep, and Brad's counting the texture on the ceiling and trying, and like, what is happening here? And this whole time, I've been fighting off like a cold, right? It's going around. It's just a cold. It's nothing, nothing more. We're good. Uh, and so, uh, and, and I'm like, well, this is going to be great, because now I'm not going to sleep, and this cold's just going to take over everything. Oh, buddy. Okay. And so I go out to my room, the front room, and I sit, and I, 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 I like to see who's driving at 2 a.m., like, where's that guy going? And so I'm sitting in the front way, and I'm watching cars go by. And then it finally gets sleepy. And then 4.45 comes around. I'm like, okay, cool, I'm going to sleep. And then I'm finally getting tired. And, and if you've done this, you lay in bed, and you want to go to sleep so hard that you can't go to sleep. Right? You kind of get frustrated sleep. My mom used to have this deal where she would say, sleep fast. And it is like, we got to get up early. You're going to bed late. Sleep fast. Get it all in. And so I'm stressing out because I'm looking at my watch. I sleep with my, this is the alarm clock. I sleep. It doesn't wake anybody up. Just me if it needs to happen. But I'm looking at it going, I have to be up in two hours. Or the boys are going to be up in two hours. This is not going to go well. And so I'm stressed about how little bit I'm going to get. And then I start going through all the routines we have. And then pretty soon the whole night goes by. And I'm like, that stupid coffee. Right? And it's weird how just one night of, of, the, of not hitting your rhythm of sleep and rest can ruin your whole day. Do you have things that you do in your day that, that like before the, the routine of the bedtime, the routine of rest, that if you don't do them in a certain way, you will not sleep and then you stress out about not sleeping? Do you get that or am I the only one? We stress out about not getting the rest. You have to be in a certain position. You have to do certain things. You have to have a specific amount of time. And then the stress starts to build and build. And then you're frustrated. And then you're awake. And then you don't have rest. And then it just compounds. And the cold that you've been fighting is now full-blown, even though it was almost gone. This is part of life. What does it look like to have Sabbath in the midst of a time where it's almost impossible to rest? The hope that we've been looking at in these past three weeks is that you and I, as, as we go into this busy season of life, that we wouldn't be defined by how much we can accomplish, how much we can jam into the day of what, or what we can do. 
uh, and that we wouldn't get caught up in this monster of our cultural rush, but that we would find our rest and our meaning, especially in this time with what Christ has for us. There we would remember what Sabbath was. And we remember that in Sabbath, we find rest not only for our bodies, but for our souls. And this is what Sabbath was meant to be. Tyler began our series and he talked about how everyone is supposed to Sabbath. And it, he, he, the encouragement was not to get legalistic. And we'll get there in a second. But it wasn't to get legalistic. But the Sabbath was for everyone. Those who work for six days and those who don't. And, the, and then last week we talked about that the fact that we need to find rest in our good shepherd. That we find uh, the green pastures that he lays out for us. And that rest is good is that you and I have limits And in our limits that we have, we can find a refocus to our purpose. This is the purpose of Sabbath. Well, today is practical. What are some things that we can do to actually Sabbath? How do we find rest in our resting and not be stressed out about everything that goes into it? And so in the book of Mark, uh, Mark is, like we said last week, he's the caffeinated writer. He's the one that writes everything quickly and suddenly, and everything is sudden. In the book of Mark, it's suddenly you're in chapter 2, and at the end of it, he, uh, he, he tells a series of stories that have been leading up to this. And they're all concerning something with the Sabbath. There's one in the beginning of chapter 2, in the middle it kind of does something interesting. And then the last part of chapter 2, uh, Jesus does something on the Sabbath. And in the beginning of chapter 3, Jesus does something again on the Sabbath. Mark is pitting Jesus against the Pharisees in this, in this time. Because for the Pharisees, the topic of Sabbath was much more than just Sabbath. For the Pharisees, their very national identity and who they were as Jews rested on what the Sabbath was all about. So it wasn't about Sabbath. It was about control. It was about the stressing of we have to rest. This, this section in Mark is so layered. And when you get to the bottom layer, it's the bottom layer is Jesus, just so you understand. But it all goes back to who Jesus is and how we find rest in Christ. So if you have your Bibles, turn over to Mark. Uh, chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath. Excuse me, I'm going to. Here we go. Is it back on? Okay. I don't have a cough button on this thing. And the throat is scratchy. So, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And his disciples walked along and they began to pick some heads of grain. Like you would do if you're going through the grain fields. The Pharisees said to him, Look. Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Okay, so there's some people we see that are, that are instantly introduced here. You have the Pharisees and Jesus' disciples. Anything having to do with the Sabbath would automatically get the Pharisees in, involved. The Pharisees, uh, we hear a lot about them. Here's who they are. They, they were an unofficial law keepers. Okay, they weren't like a secret police that were anointed by the government of, of that province of the Roman area. They weren't official people at all. And so they, they, in Jesus' day and time, they were the unofficial party that had been active. So they're like an active, non-governmental, official people. So think of a super PAC, right? When it comes to the political season. We just got out of one, even though we're going right back into another one. And so it's like the super PAC. They were associated. They had friends in high places. And they would inform them and push them. The Pharisee at this point had been a a sect in the Jewish Judaistic religion for about 200 years officially as like who they are. They have their roots back in the book of Ezra. 
When Ezra came back in after, after the exile, they opened the scriptures and they said, we have to live by the scriptures because we don't want to go back into exile. And they thought, this is great. And so we need keepers of the law. We need people to study the law. And this is where the Pharisees begin. And so they say, in order for us not to go back into exile, we need to keep a Sabbath. And we need to be hyper vigilant about the Sabbath and make sure everybody keeps the Sabbath. They thought that the only reason that they were in exile was because Sabbath wasn't kept. It was one of many. The other ones were like idolatry and immorality and child sacrifice, but whatever. Who cares about those, right? Let's talk about Sabbath because Sabbath is something that we can control. And so they made these rules about Sabbath. And if in their thoughts were, if everybody in Israel, if every God-fearing Jew holds to a Sabbath perfectly, then the reign of David will come back and Israel will be made king again and we will be out of the, of the thumb of Rome. And then we can have our own. So Sabbath was a stressful time for them. They wanted to make sure everybody adhered to it and stayed far away from ev- ever coming close to breaking it. And so they made what was known as the hedge around the law, which is this. If C is wrong, so think A, B, C. C is the no-no. So if C is breaking the Sabbath, we're going to make buffers before then. So you don't break rule A, you don't break rule B, therefore you will never break rule C. Except for them, breaking the law of the Sabbath was like rule M. And they had a bunch of hedges so you would never get to it. So they built this hedge around the Sabbath. And what they were doing was what I do every night, what you do when you can't get sleep. You start to stress by saying, am I going to get enough rest? Am I going to be able to do this? And so the hedge made so that the law was never threatened. We've talked about this before because the Pharisees are fun to pick on, even though they they were well-intended and well-meaning people, and many of them followed Jesus, Nicodemus being the most prominent. But they made 39 categories of what constituted work, just so you wouldn't work. And of those 39 categories contained 1,500 rules of how you should not work. That's a lot of hedges, all to make sure that you and I rested. Some of them were kind of funny. You were not allowed to harvest on the Sabbath. Okay, so you couldn't go out like the disciples did and pick the grain of, of, of pick the grain fields. You weren't allowed to do that. That's work. So don't do it. So here's the Pharisees' rule. The law says in Leviticus, and you can find it in your quiet time. Uh, I encourage you to read through Leviticus at some point in your life. Uh, so if harvesting's not bad. If harvesting is bad, don't look in a mirror. Why? Because you might see you have gray hair and pluck it out. Harvesting. If I see a gray hair growing on this, I am rejoicing. And I'm going to put fertilizer on it so it grows and multiplies, okay? So then I'm now farming. Okay, here's another one. Leviticus said, don't plant on Sabbath. Don't put anything in the ground. Pharisees took this rule and said, here's a better idea. Let's make sure no one plants. So how about the rule is no one spit? You are not allowed to spit because... If you happen to spit on a piece of, uh, your saliva seeps into the dirt of the ground, and under the dirt of the ground is a seed that someone put there years ago, and your saliva goes down and touches that seed, and that seed begins to germinate, you are now farming and planting. Ridiculous, right? And we laugh at it going, 
yeah, that's not. And so you could see how it's not restful. They weren't secret police. They weren't KGB types. They were wise, devout men who were well-intended saying, we want our people to take the law seriously. And so in order to take the law seriously, we're going to make sure everyone covers. They were well-intended laws, but they were missing the point. Some behaved, now there were some of them, that behaved like no, nosy journalists that were looking and setting themselves up as, as these guardians of public morality. And the, anytime somebody in the public eye or somebody with a big following came in, they would go to them and follow them to make sure they weren't leading people astray. And so this is how they were following Jesus that day. That's, that's how this came about. It wasn't that they had spies within Jesus' uh, cohort there and said, hey, he's coming here, now we're going to go spy on them. No, they were... They were checking him out, making sure he wasn't doing anything that was going to have people disobey the law, unkeep the Sabbath, and pretty soon they're, they're dripping down into morality and child sacrifice again, and then they go off in exile. That was their intention. And so they, 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 they marked Jesus out because he had a following. He needed to be watched. He was a threat, not only to them, but a threat to Israel. And so in verse 25, Dave, uh, Jesus responds to them. They said, why are, why are your disciples picking uh, the, the seeds. Jesus says, have you never read what David did when he, his command, when he and his companions were hungry and in need? They had read that. Everybody had read the story back then. It's, it's like watching Home Alone. We've all seen it. Everyone knows that. And then he says, in the, he just clears it out. In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priests to eat. And he also gave it to his companions. This is a story that goes back to 1 Samuel 21. David is on the run. He's, he's been enthroned as king. Uh, Samuel has, has said, you're the king now. Even though Saul is the one sitting in the office and holding the throne, David is the rightful king. Jesus doesn't answer the question, which is something that Jesus is really good at. He doesn't fight them that, yeah, my disciples probably broke your Sabbath rule about picking grain. Yep, we did that. But instead, he, he pulls them aside and says, there's a deeper rule behind the rule. And so he references this time in Samuel 21 and says, David did this. Now, David ate the showbread that was kept behind uh, the priest in, the, in a land in a city called Nob, which is a great name for a town. And so in that temple, they had, they had bread that was, that was baked, 12 loaves that were set aside for the priests for the week of service. David walks in and says, hey, my men are hungry. And the priest knows who David is, knows that this guy is the rightful king. And they're allowed to give that showbread to the king if the king asks for it. And so he gives them. And they take it and eat it. Now, there were some stipulations. And they said, hey, you can, you can, have, you can take this. You can have it. You, but we need to make sure that uh, your men had not sinned. They haven't been with any women, that they were fine, they, that we need to be make sure that, and David goes, yeah, we're good. And so he gives them the bread. And so this is what Jesus is talking about. And he's, it's a riddle, so to speak. And he's giving them this, this line that said, David was anointed king and he took the showbread. He, he broke the law, but it was okay for him to do. And we're fine with it. He was the rightful leader. And Jesus, by saying this, is giving them a claim saying, I'm also the true king. This law that you have going back to the Sabbath points to me. I'm the true king, and I have yet to be enthroned yet. I, I have taken it, and I'm, I'm supposed to have it. So this law of the Sabbath is pointing to I am. It's okay if I take this seeds. And then Jesus ends it by saying, 
Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. And it's kind of a riddle bit of an, it's a riddle of an answer that in that day would have had people scratching their heads. In our days, we look at it and go, yeah, that's kind of an interesting thing to say. But what he's saying is, he is the Messiah. He's the Son of Man. The one Daniel pointed to numerous times in his prophecy. He's the true representative between human being and all authority and institutions. He's the one that this is all about. Jesus wasn't saying that Sabbath was a bad idea or that God had changed his mind from the time when he insisted that people observe it. He was saying that we, he wasn't saying that we don't need to Sabbath. He wasn't destroying Sabbath, which is often the pushback that we get. Well, people will say, well, we don't need to keep the Sabbath because Jesus said the Sabbath was null and void. No, he didn't. The Sabbath was around before the law, and as, we, as we've discussed. Jesus says the Sabbath was, you're actually taking the Sabbath in the wrong direction. You're adding too much work to it. You're making it too hard on yourself, and you're missing the point. 1 John 5 says that the laws that, the, that the Israel had in the Torah were actually good and brought joy. So the Sabbath, being a part of the law, was meant to bring joy, and they were good. Jesus was redeeming the Sabbath. He's saying that even though I'm here, even though the king is enthroned, we still need to follow it. Remember, God's original intention of the Sabbath was for his people to enjoy six days of work to sustain themselves and their families and set aside one day for creative enjoyment. Do activities that lead to, sust- that, that lead to life. Fill the day with things that are enjoyable. And this is where the Pharisees have messed up. And honestly, I think it's where we mess up too. We we don't miss it in the same way they do. We don't go around, or I don't go around, making sure you all take a day off of work, making sure you follow a, a specific formulaic Sabbath rest. I don't check your calendars. I don't want to. Uh, you can look at mine. It's boring. Uh, I don't, I, I'm not going to follow you around and make sure that you keep your Sabbath the way you're supposed to. But I can assume, because I live in the same culture you do, I live in the same cities you do. We go to the same places. We come to the same church. I can assume, based on my experience, that you and I miss the Sabbath. We do things that we think are restful that are actually more taxing on us. We do things we call rest, but we're busy. We we binge watch 14 hours of TV shows and call it rest. It doesn't work. I've tried it. Saturdays, college football begins at 7 a.m. with college game day and ends with the late game uh, for the Pac-12 at night. And it goes all day long. I never feel great after watching all that football. And I love football. But watching 14 hours of something sitting on a couch isn't exactly restful. Uh, then we stack our weekends with event after event after event, and we call it restful, and we're, we're connecting with friends. And then Sunday night, we're so stretched thin and a mile wide and an inch deep that we have no deep connection with anyone. And so our versions of rest, and, and, and Gary mentioned this, our versions of rest end up looking like long-distance traveling. You sit down on an airplane, and you fly somewhere. You're not doing any work, but at the end of your day of travel, you're exhausted. That's what it looks like. Or it's like going on a road trip and you're the passenger seat. You're not doing anything. You're just sitting back there reading your book, watching your podcast. But at the end of traveling, you're tired. Technically, you were resting, 
but was it restful? And so as we close this series uh, on finding rhythms that bring rest and we enter into the busiest season of our whole year, I want to look at three markers, we could say, that might allow us to find rest. Now, I'm not going to get legalistic with it. These are just three things that help me. Yeah, me either. Touche. Okay, so it's not going to be legalistic. You got that? Okay. It's not going to be something legalistic. I, I, I just want us to give you three handles that as you look at your rest, we don't slip into doing things that we think are restful, but are actually taking us away from the point. And the point of the rest is to reconnect us with each other and God that gives us life. So here's what we'll do. The first one is this. Is your Sabbath rejuvenating? Does it bring life back to you? A a time where you come away with a new focus, a new energy, and perhaps a a new vigor. Uh, I'll speak for myself on those lazy days, and we have them, and sometimes they're wonderful, sometimes they're needed. I'm more exhausted than before the lazy day. Sometimes the college football is awesome. Oftentimes, it's awesome. Sometimes I walk away and it's worse. And so what I've noticed is I need to fill my day, not only with college football, which is wonderful on Saturdays, but I need to do something with myself. I love mowing my lawn. You might hate mowing a lawn. You might disagree with the notion of grass. That's fine. But for me, it's rejuvenating to get outside and mow the lawn. I feel better about myself, even though I curse out my lawnmower at times and whatever, but it's one of the most rejuvenating times on a Saturday, a rest time, to mow the lawn, get outside, get in the sunshine, do something. Also, one of the most rejuvenating times that I've had in my week, and I wasn't able to do it this week because of the lack of sleep and the cold, was go to the gym at 6 in the morning. And some of you might look at that and go, ooh, 6 in the morning, first of all, gym, second of all, but that's my favorite time. It brings life. And when I don't go for a week, I get cranky, ask my wife. Because it brings life. It's rejuvenating to me. The times in the morning when I sit in the chair by myself and I'm able to read and pray. Those are times that are rejuvenating times. It doesn't have to be a day. That's where we lose it. Moments throughout your day that bring rest. Rejuvenation. Does your Sabbath rejuvenate you? The second one is, is your Sabbath reconnecting you with God and with your community? That's what Sabbath was for. If you look back in, 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 in the way that the, the Hebrews would, would practice Sabbath, they would have a Sabbath meal, family around. They would sing songs. They would play games. They would talk without devices. And, and they would enjoy each other's company. And so we have a family practice. On Friday, we have family pizza night. And, and we sit around and we talk. The boys play. We watch a movie. They pick the movie. They watch 10 minutes of it. And then we play and we have a good time. It's family night. In the summer months, sometimes we went to the beach. It wasn't, we weren't perfect at it. And we weren't always completely present when we were with them. But we had that time set aside. Friday's family day. Saturday is family day. This is a time where we can be together. I have a small group that I attend that is loud and chaotic and we have a lot of fun and we're unpredictable and we're deep and we're caring and we yell at each other and then we love each other and it's a challenge. But that small group of mine is one of the places where I find the deepest connection. 
the times we're together, we read scripture, we pray for each other. It's a part of our Sabbath rhythm. It's a meal, it's connection. And this is the, what we're missing. Does your Sabbath bring connection with the people around you? Or is your Sabbath isolating you from people around you? There are times when solitary is good, but we weren't meant to be solitary people. Does your Sabbath bring connection? And also, lastly, the last marker is, is, does your Sabbath bring you to worship? Sabbath is not only about reconnecting God, you with others, it's about reconnecting you with God. Sabbath is centered around the idea that God provided so you can rest. And your response to his provision is worship. Am I learning about Christ's grace in my Sabbath? Am I seeking God's love in my Sabbath? Am I, am I learning how the Spirit empowers me during my Sabbath? If, am I finding out more ways that I'm loved during my Sabbath? Am I finding out more ways where I can trust during my Sabbath? Am I growing in that trust? In Exodus, the people of Israel were leaving. In Exodus 20, they start complaining they don't have any food. And so God says, all right, we're going to provide you some food. And he puts manna on the ground. And the rule was this. Every morning, manna is going to come. And manna, the literal word for manna means what is this? We don't know what it is. It looks like cornflakes on the ground. Uh, But manna is going to be there every morning. And every morning, you're supposed to go out. And we know the story. You're supposed to go out there, and you're supposed to pick enough for that day. Fill enough for that day. Don't take too much. It's going to turn to mold. Take enough for that day. And then at night, quail's going to come by, and you're going to have roasted quail for dinner. It'll be delicious. So every morning, manna. Every night, quail. And then on Friday night, because Sabbath is Saturday, you're supposed to take enough to cover for Saturday. Because on Saturday, you're going to learn how to trust that God will provide you enough to get you through that day. And so they come from a place where everything was scarce. They come from Egypt, where they had to work for everything, where they had to pull everything down. Everything was by the sweat of their brow. They're defined by what they do. And so that first night, that first Friday and Saturday, they took everything, and then they come out on Saturday morning expecting to have to work for more food, and nothing is there. And they said, we have to trust that God will provide. Or they were just told to take enough to get through Tuesday, but they were so scared. And they're like, we're going to take enough to get through Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, just in case. And those turned to mold. Their Sabbath was learning how to trust. Our Sabbath is the same way. It's learning how to connect to what God is, how God has made us. And can I trust in him to provide that I don't have to work? Can I trust in him that I can sit back and enjoy this creation that he's built? That I can connect with friends? That if if you're one of these people, you can go hiking. I don't understand you, but great. You can go hiking as a way of connecting. Or camping, that's just sleeping on the ground. Great. But if that connects you and rejuvenates you, then go do it. That's what it's for. But oftentimes we use this idea of Sabbath to miss out on this. We're Sabbathing. We're not going to come together for worship. And we miss it. And we use it as an excuse. And then we'll say that we're connecting with God, but we're not. We'll say that we're going to use it as a time, but likely it's not. And so we miss worship. We can have, we have Sabbath. We have the attempt of rest without the connection to God. Your Sabbath needs to pull you back into a place where you're growing in your faith. 
So does your, Sabbath, does your Sabbath rejuvenate you? Does your Sabbath reconnect you? And does your Sabbath lead you to worship? The following story in Mark, and, and it won't be on the screen unless Dylan read my mind, but it's, it's not going to be on there. But Jesus, uh, the, the Pharisees were trying to uh, trap Jesus when it came to Sabbath. Uh, it's there. Way to, way to go, Dylan. But they were trying to trap him. And so they brought forth this man and put him in the synagogue. And it was Sabbath. And Jesus is walking through. And, and they want to see what Jesus is going to do. And I, I guess we can read it. Uh, it says, another time Jesus went in the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then he asked the man, which is lawful? Uh, on the Sabbath to do good or to do good evil or to do evil to save or to kill but they remained silent and he looked around at them and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts he said to them stretch out your hand he stretched out his hand and his hand was completely restored the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians another unofficial uh, political thing that's another story about how they were going to kill Jesus And I think Mark puts this here as an illustration for us. We can get so locked in on our Sabbath that we forget that the Sabbath was supposed to bring restoration and renewal. And here you have this man that's being used as a pawn in a trap to get Jesus in trouble. And Jesus asks the question, this thing called Sabbath was meant for good, but you're turning it into evil because, one, you're trying too hard and you're missing the point. Jesus said to, Jesus didn't do any work. The only work that was done with there was the guy that was, he stood up. All Jesus said was, stretch out your hand. That's it. He was doing what he was created to do and he was found restored. So as we look at our Sabbath, the goal is that we walk into these seasons and we find restoration places all throughout this time that you carve out the moments in your schedule that you can reconnect with people, that you do things that are rejuvenating to you. But most of all is you remember the one who gave you life. You remember the one that took the shriveled heart that we have and breathed life into it and then it begins doing what it's supposed to do. This shriveled man, this man with the shriveled hand was contrasted with the Pharisees with the withered hearts. Don't miss the rest. Don't overcomplicate it. Don't fool yourself for doing something, calling it restful when it's really not. Make sure it reconnects. Make sure it rejuvenates and make sure it draws you into worship. Would you pray with me? Father, we stress out about things and then it takes us far, far away of what you intended it to be. And so Lord, we repent of that Uh, in our lives where we've made it what it's not. And so, God, may we come back to the heart of what Sabbath was, a reconnection with you, a place where we are reminded who we are and, most importantly, whose we are. We belong to you, and you want us to rest. You seek connection. You seek to give us life, to restore our souls. God, may we find that. May we not be so militant about it that we're so stressed out about rest that we never sleep, that we're too tired to even sleep. May we not miss the point, but may we find you. Would you restore us today?